It's a privilege to have with us a small contingent of the Gregoire family as they take Isabel up to Covenant College. So Isabel and her mother and brother are here. Wave, guys. Where are you? You're over here. Okay, spread out, hanging out with friends. Uh, We're glad that you guys are here. If you would, in your Bibles, if you have it with you, maybe on your phone, uh, look up Ephesians chapter 6. In uh, the late uh, 1930s, Stalin in Russia signed a non-aggression pact with Hitler in Germany. And um, Hitler secretly wanted to take over Poland and, and get the oil reserves in the Caucasus. And so he started moving troops up to the southern border of Poland. And Stalin didn't know what to do because he had signed this you know, non-aggression uh, treaty with, with Hitler. And uh, so he didn't know if he should counter by sending his own troops to the border. Uh, he had not been rebuilding his military after some time of lax and was surprised in 1941, I think June 22nd, when Hitler advanced his troops into Russian or Soviet Union territory. Um, It's that surprise that caught him off guard. He lost large portions of his country and large reserves, although the operation did not accomplish what Hitler wanted, and Operation Barbosa was considered a failure. It still was a tremendous blow uh, to the Russian uh, military and to Russian resources, Soviet Union uh, resources. Uh, it was also a tremendous blow to Hitler because of the cost to his soldiers because there was massive casualties on both sides. And it brings us back to our spiritual warfare that we're in. Paul says we are in a spiritual battle today, right now. And it might seem like the enemy is passive. It might seem like things are at peace. It might seem like things are not afoot. This is a brief time in your life where you're doing well. Things are clicking. You know, your budget's good. Your kids are good. Your job is good. And uh, things seem to, you know, relationships are good. Things seem to be going well. But the enemy is amassing his forces at your southern border. And the reality is, Satan is not done. He is ready for battle. He is retooling and re-strategizing all the time to come and take us captive in thought and in deed. He is putting out temptations that allure us. He is constantly scheming. And this is not my words. These are the schemes of the devil that the Scripture talks about. Um, He's a deceiver. He wants to step in and distract you and distort truth, distort reality. He wants to divide you from others because united we stand, divided we fall. He wants to convince you that you don't need the body of Christ, that you you can go to college and be on your own and it's okay. He's going to convince you to sleep in on Sunday morning because do you really need every Sunday? He's going to try and separate you from the church, and he's going to try and distract you. Distracted by 
politics, distracted by, you know, the way Jesus says it is, why are you worried about what you wear and about, about what you eat and what you drink? You know, I mean, this, I think Jesus knew about Facebook at that point. Because, you know, everyone's snapping pictures and, on, on Instagram and on Facebook about what they're eating. It's like, who cares? I don't want to see your breakfast before or after. I mean, come on, you know? Um, but, the, but we're distracted. We're not thinking about the kingdom of God. We're, we're at a gas station and we're thinking about getting home as fast as we can to have dinner because, you know, someone cooked something delicious and we miss the opportunity with the person at the counter to show them the love of Jesus. We're distracted. We're just not engaged in what's going on in our lives at the moment. So we are in this spiritual warfare. Uh, this is Paul's comment uh, to us in Ephesians 6. <coughs> Brian preached last week on how prayer functions in this spiritual battle. And so my question today as we wrap this series up is how do we remain alert in spiritual warfare? Um, because this is Paul's emphasis here at the end. So let me read the text. And you follow along in your copy of the scriptures or on the screen. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances... Take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I appreciated Brian's emphasis last week on prayer. He is a very thoughtful preacher, even though he picked on my applications, which we will get to later. But the question for the lesson for today is that we... Pre we pre uh, persevere together as we stand firm, alert to the schemes of the devil. This is perseverance and alertness together as a body. So I want to look at these last few verses together and consider Paul's admonition. The first thing is that you cannot miss Paul's point that God has equipped us for this battle through Christ. Um, this is uh, his argument here as he tells us to pray. He's telling us to draw near to the Lord. And I've mentioned several times that this, the armor of God is not a suit you put on. It is a person you draw near to. Uh, the things mentioned here are characteristic of God. They are characteristic of how he thinks, operates, who he is. 
He has donned these very pieces of armor to go do battle against evil in the world. And so we draw near to him, and he is the one who equips us. He is the one, and that's why the language of the text is receive, especially when we get to the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, and the helmet of salvation. We're told not to take these things, but to receive them. Because as we draw near to God, God is equipping us. And the person he's equipping us with or through is the person of Jesus Christ. So take a minute with me and let's walk through a little bit of the book of Ephesians and see how Paul speaks about God equipping us through Christ. Join me in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul telling us that through Christ we have been blessed with spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Verse 15, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord and your love toward the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having your eyes enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of your calling. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and the immeasurable greatness of his power? Uh, This is God, through Christ, giving us his spirit, equipping us with the spirit of God, with the knowledge of God. Chapter 4 and verse 20. Uh, This is not the way you learned Christ. Not only are we equipped through a knowledge of God, through a knowledge of the hope that we have, but we're brought into a new community. When you became a Christian, you were brought into the church. God brings the fatherless into families. And brothers and sisters, this is the family. For all its quirkiness. This is the family that we're a part of. Chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. And then jump down, verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who are far off, peace to you who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus being the very cornerstone. So, He's equipping us with the gifts of salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, Paul says in chapter 1. He's equipping us with a knowledge of Christ, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He's giving us the equipment that we need. And that's why when he gets to the armor, you're not supposed to look for something new. You're supposed to look to the same source, the same person. Um, He equips the community. Now that you're in a community, you need from him, don't you? Well, look what he says. Chapter 4, verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So Christ says, all right, I'm going to 
I'm going to bring you into a knowledge of me. I'm going to redeem you and bring you into this knowledge and put you in a family. And then I'm going to fill that family with my presence through the Spirit. And I'm going to give that family roles to play within the family so that the family can thrive. And those roles, those abilities are coming to you through the same person, through Jesus Christ. He talks about those gifts um, in verse 11, and he gave, he just, these are not, these are just random gifts that he's given. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds and teachers. Um, I come from a tradition that that said, uh, you know, pastors and teachers are a different class of spiritual citizen. No, we're not. We are normal Christians. We are normal people with brokenness, with needs, with sins. Our children have sins. We are not special class of citizen. Um, we are just given different gifts. And I don't want to diminish my role. I don't want to diminish Pastor Paul's role or, or the roles of our elders or deacons or other staff members. But you don't, we don't worship each other. We worship Christ. And you don't look to me. You look to Christ. Christ is this presented to, to us uh, through Paul as this great equipper filling his people and his body for the work of ministry. Look what he says. He gave these apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds, teachers to equip the saints so that the saints could do the work of the ministry. This is Jesus equipping you to do the work of ministry within the church so that one another we don't fall prey to the craftiness and the schemes of Satan, he says in verse 14. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, even Christ. So Paul has been building this argument all the way to the end of this book that this equipment which he presents as armor is found in a person who is the source of all of the God's gifts to us. Even the love of God comes to us through the person of Jesus Christ. He is our mediator, but he is the supplier of the gifts and the grace of God. And so the conclusion, I think Paul would say, look to Jesus. Everything you need for spiritual warfare Everything you need as you're wrestling to lead your children, to teach your children, to train your children in the Lord, everything you need is in Jesus Christ. When you're disciplining and trying to reorient your children to reality, everything you need is in Jesus Christ. When you're trying to navigate jobs and, and, and career paths as well as conflicts within your job, everything you need is in the person of Jesus Christ. The grace to walk in humility, to speak up when you need to, to keep your mouth shut when you need to. All of this is found in the person of Jesus Christ who is ready and willing to equip you. This is why Peter can say it in his letter that everything pertaining to life and godliness has been given to us in a knowledge of God. So, we come to the end and we can't miss the big thrust that God is equipping us through Christ. 
the next big thrust that Paul concludes, and, and if you don't know how he's been building his argument, you're going to miss it, is that the gospel frames our calling. This spiritual battle that you're in, the spiritual warfare, it's all framed. Life is framed by the teaching of the gospel. And what's interesting is how Paul speaks about it. He starts with the after picture and then gives us the before picture and then the after picture. He kind of goes back and forth before the before and after. Have you seen these kind of pictures? I always forget to do the before. Um, I've been painting my house on the outside. I forgot to take a picture of what it was like before so that you could go, oh, wow, that's really an improvement. Um, I've had somebody put a picture of my wife and I on Facebook from about 25 years ago. That's the before. This is the after. I, it, you know, I have not aged well. Um, but, you know, the before and the after helps frame what Paul is, uh, is talking about us engaging in and experiencing. Look at a few texts in Ephesians with me. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and whence you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and of our mind, were by nature the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is before. Jump down to chapter 2, verse 11. I won't reread it. He talks about us being separated from the family of God. That's the before. Jump over with me to chapter 4. Verse 17, now therefore I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. They were darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and given themselves up to the sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learn Jesus. Folks, this is the before picture dead in our trespasses and sins what's the after picture well jump back to chapter one we have in christ been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in love he predestined us for adoption as sons chapter one verse five according to the purpose of his will according to the praise of his grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Jump over to chapter 2. You were dead, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, so that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable great riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ. Jump over to chapter 2 and uh, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he's our peace. Jump down to verse 21. In whom, uh, I'm sorry, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and the members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
in him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Jump over to chapter 4. I mean, we could just keep going on. It's the before picture, it's the after picture. And how did that before picture become the after picture? He mentions it over and over and over to the praise of His glorious grace. What did you do to go from before to after? Nothing. It was to the praise of His glorious grace. He stepped into your life. He predestined you. He adopted you. He has made forgiveness possible and granted it to you through Christ. He has made you alive by His grace. He has seated you in in the heavenly places with Christ, giving you permanency with Him. He has put you in a new community of faith with brothers and sisters in Christ who are here to speak the truth and love to you and build you up in the faith. He has given you a life created in righteousness and holiness. Put off the old man. Be renewed in your mind. Put on the new man, which is created in holiness and righteousness. This is what He has done for us. This is divine intervention. This is His merciful forgiveness. And the fruit of it is humility before Him. And and when you see words like receive the armor of God and pray, and Paul mentions praying several times in in Ephesians, and and you, you see the picture of this unfolding grace to take a before and create an after, which is created in Christ Jesus. You're, you're being drawn by the apostle to a humility of, look what God has done for me. Look how God has intervened and changed me. Look how God has saved me from myself. Look how God has stepped in to my life. Prayer and gratitude, I would argue, are Paul's uh, fruit of humility. If humility is present, you're going to see these two things in your life. If grace has grabbed your heart, if you understand, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you have not received? Now think about that. Think about your life right now. The cars you drive, the house you drive, the clothes you drive, the furniture you sit on, the food you eat, the money in your bank account. What do you have that you haven't received? You say, I went and earned it. Who gave you the power to do that? Who gave you the mental skill, the education? Who, who gave that to you? The stamina. Everything we have the giftedness we have. Everything we have comes to us from the hand of another. And if you don't understand that, if I don't understand that, that this is all of goodness and grace, that there is nothing I deserve in this, there is nothing I have merited If we don't answer the question, what do I have that I haven't received, with 
nothing. Everything I have comes from the hand of God. Then there's no humility and grace. The idea of grace hasn't captured us, and we're still clinging to our merit. We're still clinging to our ability, to our contribution. The only thing I've contributed to this relationship, as someone else has said, is my sin. Everything I have, I have received. What can I boast in? What can I glory in? I can only glory in the goodness and the grace of God. In the great mercy of God to intervene in my life in this way. And this is how Paul throughout the letter has been framing his argument. Framing his explanation of your identity and my identity. It is the undercurrent of the entire book of Ephesians, and frankly, it is the undercurrent of the entire scriptures. Grace. God's intervention. You contribute nothing but your own sin. So we talk about this, taking on this armor, it requires a humility. It requires that we recognize I need this. I need to draw near to this person. He is essential to my life. If that's not there, you're not going to draw near, and you're going to be open to the attacks of Satan, and you have not had your identity shaped by the gospel of Jesus. The fruit of humility, I think Paul would argue, is prayer, and gratitude. Gratitude, what a lacking thing today. But when your heart is gripped by grace and you know that nothing you have hasn't been given to you, and you know that you don't deserve anything that you have received, and that the health you had for as short a time as you had it was still a gift, because the only thing we deserve is the eternal outpouring of the wrath of God for our sin then we have everything to be thankful for all day. Giving thanks, Paul says in chapter 5, and verse, uh, verse 18 through 20. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Realize today your need of God. We live in a culture that thinks that you're the that, that thinks I'm the exception to the rule. I have a good reason for doing what I'm doing. I'm the exception to the rule. You're not. There's no one in this room who doesn't need the grace of God and doesn't need to draw near to Christ. You're not the exception to the rule. Live in humility. God, help us live in humility before you. Help me to walk in humility. And then I think Paul would conclude with, we fight this battle together. And by the way, these are the things of spirit, being alert. 
if you're alert, you're going to go to Christ for equipping. Because number two, you know you need it. You know you need Him in your life. And alertness is going to point you back to the body of Christ. It's going to say, I need to stand with my brothers and sisters in arms. Because Paul does not say you put on the armor. He says y'all put on the armor. Because we, the picture is of soldiers standing side by side, entering into battle. It is not Rambo. It is not Spartacus walking out into a field or Hercules or whoever you want to imagine. It is one person in a group of believers working together. And that's why Paul puts such an emphasis on the community of the church. Church is a community of dependent children. People who have joined together to seek the Lord. No one, Paul says, can claim some kind of special status based on their gifts or based on their ethnicity. He argues the ethnicity in chapter 2. He argues giftedness in chapter 4. Church is filled... Um, with the Holy Spirit to be a ministering community. He calls us fellow citizens. He says we are equipped to serve each other and to serve the world. He says we're equipped to speak the truth in each other's lives, to admonish one another. This is our role. And the point is that we have community responsibility to each other. It's not just that the pastors are here to serve you. You're here to serve the pastors. I've said this to our session many times. I am here to be a part of your sanctification. And I quickly follow it up with, and you're here to be a part of mine. We are mutually dependent on each other to grow in grace. And that's why your life in the community is so important. That's why your participation in small groups is so important. We've already surpassed the size of a church where you're going to know everybody and where you're going to have that tight community. We have to start having those communities in small groups. And that's why we do it. Because I can't pastor all of you and neither can Paul. Our elders can't pastor all of you. We're all, I mean, as a community, we are extremely busy. But think about what happens in those small groups as we draw near to Christ together. I've heard people say we're not a praying church or we need to pray more. And I I don't think you can ever say we don't need to pray more. But if anyone ever says to me, we're not a praying church, I'm going to say this. Then you haven't been to my life group. Because I'll tell you, when we get together, the heavens open. And the presence of God descends. I have had some of the strongest and sweetest prayer times with my life group over the last three years. We fight together. We support each other. We strengthen each other in the Lord. And so I would urge you, to join a small group for the battle's sake, but for your brothers' and sisters' sake as well.
And this is why our church is such an important thing, to be a gospel-centered community in the midst of a dark and dying world. Some applications. and There are more summaries than applications. Alertness that Paul talks about. The alertness he talks about. Be alert. Praying is alertness. But you're not going to pray if you don't understand that you're dependent. You're not going to pray if, you're not, if you don't understand your frailty and that you're dependent. So there has to be a humility that is born in our lives. And the way to get there, here's the way to get there is to learn grace. To learn what Jesus has done for you and realize there is nothing that you have that hasn't been given to you. Now, only the Holy Spirit can really open your eyes to that. But there's an answer for that, and that's Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul says, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes. As you draw near to Christ, your humility will grow, and your prayer life will grow, and so will your gratitude. So I wonder, does your life demonstrate a growing humility? Does your life demonstrate a growing humility, a growing sense of awareness of your weakness, of your insufficiency, of how much you're loved, how much you're cherished by the Lord and don't deserve that, on how blessed you are with the grace of God in your life through the Holy Spirit? Is there a growing sense of humility? And, and that will reveal itself again in gratitude and prayer. So let's ask that. How much do you give thanks for? Do you give thanks in all things? Do you give thanks for everything at all times? Parents, you got to... When we, when we disciple our children, we don't just say to them, you need to be gracious. You need to be thankful. Tell them thank you. You need to bring them into why they should be thankful. Did you deserve that? They brought you a gift. Did you deserve that? Look what they did for you. Did you just, you know, and, and go after the, the underlying pride that we're all born with. And you need to model that by by being a person of gratitude and thanksgiving. But that's not going to happen, obviously, if there's not a work of grace in our lives. But you can model prayer. You can model that, you know, we, we need to look to God in dependence. Finally, I would urge you to join the ranks of the redeemed. You might not be a member of our church, that's okay, but I would urge you to join the body of Christ. To make yourself, to commit yourself to the church. Yes, through membership. I would urge you to join the church. I would urge you to join the small group ministry. I would urge you to be a part of what God is doing in our church relationally. And I want to remind you that as we are engaged in this spiritual warfare, 
what John says in 1 John 4, the third pastor to, to the Ephesus church. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Our victory is assured. The power of evil has been broken. And we have the grace of God through the empowering and the equipping of Jesus Christ and his spirit to march forward together this year. And I pray that we will. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for the time in your word. Thank you for the wonderful worship service we've had today to hear from the nations, to, uh, to join together in prayer and to, uh, to seek you and pursue you as covenant children of yours. Father, minister to us, minister through us. Advance the work of Christ in us and through us for the glory of Jesus. Amen.